and welcome to the Hand in Hand show where caregivers and survivors have honest discussions about stroke. We are a part of Stroke Focus Podcasts. This is Cam, your host, and Nancy Wetworth, and we're going to interview Dr. Keith Raphael, who is an adjunct assistant clinical professor the Department of PM and R at Tufts University School of Medicine. So welcome, Dr. Raphael. It's a pleasure to see you uh, and be part of this interview. It's great to have you here. Nancy and I were really excited about this. Tell us a little bit about yourself and Our Heart Speaks and the Patient Stories Project. Okay. So a little bit about my background first. Um, I'm a physical medicine rehabilitation specialist, and I've been doing this for many years. So I've had a lot of experience working with people with chronic disabilities from stroke, brain injury, spinal cord injury, chronic pain, the whole gamut. And it's something I've been doing for a while. So you mentioned that my work through Tufts, but I'm also at Brown University and have been other, affiliated with other institutions. And what this really sort of gets to for me is I think we do a pretty decent job working with people in terms of saving lives and doing the medical care and even doing some of the day-to-day rehabilitation, which is getting people moving and getting them back into the community. But what I find has been sort of lacking and it is really getting to the essence of who are we? What happens to us when we've had a stroke, a brain injury, a spinal cord injury, or other kind of acquired disability? and looking at ways that we can sort of access that. So Our Heart Speaks is a nonprofit that I founded with the help of others as part of my team um, to really support an international patient stories project. And this is about giving voice to individuals with a new disability or an acquired disability uh, to be able to speak to how they've been able to find meaning and purpose in their life Um, after going through the different challenges of a new disability. You know, this is great because I always speak on finding your passion again or finding or something that you need to do or work with. And I think that once someone finds that and uh, also gratitude that um, you can move forward. I think if you don't find these things or you don't understand it, you just don't progress as well. And to hear this and to hear that people give these stories, I think is just a wonderful project. And and it's great that you um, kind of all came together to realize that this is important. What you're saying is very true. And and what I wanted to do with, with the group that I've been working with is to take this out of any one institution to really sort of empower people from all around the world. We know that stories can be very powerful on many levels. Uh, There's actually research to support that by being able to tell your story, there's some therapeutic value to that. Um, In addition to that, those who are listening to the stories and hearing that, it may have an impact. And that's actually really part of the goal is can others learn from this? Can they be inspired? Can this make a difference in their lives? And we have a very broad audience that we're trying to reach. And um, I think it can be very impactful in that way. Who are you trying to connect with? Basically just survivors or, or people who have certain disabilities? Or is it, is it anyone who has had a, um, an uphill battle in their life, I guess? So it's a very broad group. It includes uh, individual patients, 
people with a, the disability community. It includes caregivers, healthcare providers. And actually, I've just expanded that. I'm looking at healthcare leaders, people that are in the field that actually may have it, be able to have an impact on where things are going in quality of care. So I think all those groups are very important. I know myself, uh, being on faculty at one of the teaching hospitals, have started to integrate that into the fellowship training program that we have, as well as with the residents. So when they spend some time with me, they know this project exists. Uh, they can see stories. So it's not just going on the rounds and seeing the patients, but it's sort of hearing what's happening when they leave the hospital, what's possible. And that gets to another area for me that I think we would like to really be able to look at is sort of setting up something called a culture of possibility. I think we have a mindset out there. And I, when I say we, I, it's really generic we. It's, it's individuals that are going through that. And it's actually healthcare providers and all of us in society. What does it mean to have a stroke or a brain injury or go through a chronic illness that's really has changed our lives in an appreciable way? How can we be, have meaning and purpose and really begin to understand that and make a paradigm shift there? I just can't say enough so far about what I'm hearing is so positive and so wonderful. As a former resident coordinator at a major hospital here in St. Louis, I always felt that our residents didn't always quite get into the patient, what the stroke really does to them or what, you know, the disability that they've encountered really does do for them. And I think for a resident or for anyone going into medicine or even people who had been in medicine for a long time, this might be just a great way to hear, see, and, and maybe understand more of what they go through. I think you're absolutely correct. It's a perspective that often is not understood or really observed as much in, in training and, and medical care. There is such a focus on getting people on the right medications and, and making sure the blood pressures are okay and or people are sort of moving through the system quickly. And I'm not saying those are not important. They're very important and they're critical. But often the patient, the individual is missed in that. And what I mean is who they are and what they're going through. You know, often we'll sort of say, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll sort of label it, you know, someone is depressed or someone is anxious. And that all may be true, but there's a core thing going on here. When, when, when you are facing a major life change, there is questions that we all face mm -hmm. and, and we have to deal with. And if we can't, having to understand that and address that, I think is really critical. Um, it's, it's all about what it means to be human. And, and that's, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I know after having my stroke, and I'm sure even though Nancy didn't have the stroke, she's lived with her husband for 26 years who did have one. Anything, any information, anything about feelings or, well, any of it is just, we need that. People need that. Like we just said, professionals need that. This is huge. Um, when we were going through this, there was such an incredible disconnect for me between the doctors and this person that I loved. And I couldn't get doctors to answer my questions. They would look at me like, why are you asking that? And they would turn and walk away, probably because they didn't know how to answer it. That's the only thing I can think of. I don't think that they were being intentionally rude. But after seeing so many doctors so long, I felt like I was just walking around. We were a number in the system. 
And that was it. There was nothing personal about how we were treated or no one cared about how far we actually fell from the previous life to where we were within 24 hours. So I am so grateful for what you're doing and the fact that um, someone of your caliber is actually waking up to this incredible need. Thank you for providing this service. Oh, well, thank you. I, I appreciate hearing that. Um, I also want to, so I, I, I'm not sure if people are familiar with Viktor Frankl and, and the work. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So in sort of in parallel to this is something that's really sort of informed me. I, I've, I've read initially many, many, many years ago, the book Man's Search for Meaning. Mm-hmm. And I reread it again. And I said, you know, this is exactly what I'm talking about and what he's been talking about for many years. And that actually connected me to a, a whole community that I was not that familiar with. Um, I don't know if people have heard of the logotherapy community. It's more in Europe than in the United States. Mm-hmm. But it came out of, for, for, for the listeners who may not be as familiar with, Viktor Frankl was a neurologist and psychiatrist. Um, he actually lived through uh, World War II and the Holocaust. And while he was in a concentration camp himself and experienced the horrific experience there, he actually had the wherewithal to sort of look at individuals who were survivors and trying to understand how some people were able to sort of get through that and have more resilience than others. And he was very, very curious about that. And he developed the whole system of um, therapy that really looked at how we can be more resilient, how we can flourish, how we can find meaning and purpose in life, uh, despite the most horrific challenges. And that certainly was one of them. So that actually really spoke to something that I'm saying is I think in, in a way, when each of us goes through a new change in our medical situation or a new disability, or uh, we're, we're facing our own personal challenge, our own personal loss in many ways. And how do we get through that? And how do we sort of thrive and flourish? And I've seen some wonderful things in my own life and with my own patients. I see what's possible. And that's why I said there really needs to be a platform. There needs to be a way of giving voice to this being able to sort of put it out in, in the air so that other people can see it, this broad audience, and maybe do some research and education around this. And I, I actually have a very, very, you know, maybe it's sort of grandiose, but it's a vision that I have. It's a vision that my, my team also holds is, is there a way that beyond one person at a time that we can have an impact, which I think that in of itself is wonderful if one person can look at it, but can we sort of begin to impact best practices out there the way we as a society begin to look at what it means to have a disability or to have a, a chronic medical illness that maybe have changed us in some ways. What does it mean to be human in that? And how can we support that? How can we develop those resources for all of us to be part of that? And it's really, that, that's sort of where I'm going at with this project. Well, you've already used some of my favorite words along this way, because I know that John and I have certainly learned to survive and thrive and I, I like the fact that you use the word thrive. And the other thing that, that you mentioned that really speaks deeply to my soul is the concept of paradigm shift. Because that acceptance of that paradigm shift when something happens is, is the, the core thing that has to happen initially for people to be able to turn around and get to the thrive place from my perspective. Because if you're sitting there looking at your old life and saying, we have to live exactly the same way because that's the only way I can be happy, then you've got a problem. And, and helping people make that paradigm shift and getting them to the concept of paradigm shift, then they're on the way to health and happiness. And I'm so glad that your profession is looking at this other than just 
someone like me who writes one little book about it. <laughs> no, I think I think you make a very important point. Absolutely, we you know it, it is a different mindset. Mm-hmm. Point being is it's a mindset that actually needs to shift for the individual that's going through that, and they obviously need help with that. Yeah, and that's why I think the resources that we're talking about are very important. But I think it's a mind shift for the people that are that are also care about the patient, the caregiver, all that, uh, to begin to see what is possible. Exactly. So now you've really got me, me, my interest peaked here. What specifically are you doing with your organization to help change that mindset? And where are you going? What tools do we have as caregivers and survivors from what you're doing that will help us? So I, I think a couple things. First and foremost, it is my hope that these, the stories themselves will actually be somewhat of a, not only an inspiration, but a blueprint for that as we start to accumulate these stories. So this is an online platform. So the way it works is, and this is individuals from anywhere in the world, this is an international project, um, can submit a story and as long as it meets sort of the basic criteria we have, and we do have some basic criteria, individuals have had to have some kind of acquired or new disability. We're not looking at a time course, but it needs to be with somewhere in their young adult life or later in adolescence where something has shifted for them and have been able to find the meaning and purpose and, and really be able to share that. So individually we can look at that and people can read that and we can all learn from that. But there's also a research component too, because uh, it is my feeling and, and that of my team that over time, as we accumulate more and more stories, there may be sort of a, a thread or threads that are, we can learn from aggregate that you can't get from any one story alone. So there's something called qualitative analysis. Mm-hmm. And by looking at the, the narratives and different stories, we'll be able over the next couple of years to begin to look at that and drill down on that and hopefully come up with, hey, you know, these are things that clearly seem to be helpful for most people. The other thing is that actually over time, we don't have it right now, but I'm going to be looking for feedback and, and stories from people that have looked at these stories and said, you know what, this Hopefully this has been helpful for me and this is how this has been helpful and made a difference. So it's a constant, very dynamic process. So that's, that in and of itself is how we're hoping to really touch people's lives and doing this. The other thing is that we're also reaching out and really developing collaborative efforts with other organizations, mm-hmm. for example, rehab hospitals, uh, organizations such as yours. And um, I've reached out to the PACE program, which is um, a program working with the uh, geriatric population living and aging in place. I even have uh, some beginning collaboration with partners in health doing their work in Haiti because they've gone through a lot of interesting trauma and that gets into the whole cultural issues, which is very interesting, a very interesting dynamic there. I think we actually can learn a lot from different cultural interpretations of what disability even means. We have, you know, it's not, I'm actually learning myself that it's not just what we think here in the United States. It's a different perspective. So that multicultural, inclusive perspective is really important. So I have another question now. As you're going out to these other organizations like um, other nonprofits and hospitals and rehab centers and other places, what kind of attitude are you meeting with these people regarding your program and your ideas? Hmm. It's interesting. So for the most part, it's very positive. The, the thing that we're trying to work on is how do we make this as accessible for them to use and get their patients on that. And I think that's sort of really sort of the critical piece. Um, they like the idea. It's just a matter of 
really wow. developing the platform and making it really accessible. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. I'm glad to hear that. And I think you, I think you've tapped onto the methodology there, making it easy for them. Yes. Yes. So the other piece too, that I think uh, I, I do want to share, uh, it gets into the, the different formats that stories can be told. Uh -huh. But we're not limiting this necessarily to a uh, like first person narrative. We're using different artistic medium and encouraging that. And, and, what I mean by that is it can be poetry, it can be video, it can be photography, music, artwork, as well as the written word. Why? For a couple of reasons. One, some people, that's how they can best express themselves. That's, that's the medium that feels most comfortable for them. Also, the recipient, the audience, sometimes likes to hear things in different ways or see things in different ways. It makes a difference. And actually, because of someone's disability, um, they may not be able to write things out, but actually by doing it through a picture or photography or music or some combination, they're able to get what they're trying to share in, in a different context. And I think that could be very powerful. So we want to really keep that open and rich. Well, it's not only for the person who's delivering the message, but if other people who are, um, have a disability want to perceive that message, they may perceive it better from art or, the, or music rather than language too. That's correct. That's correct. Absolutely. And I'm a big fan of multimedia. Oh, <laughs> well, we never do any of that here. <laughs> <laughs> is there anyone who has informed and inspired the mission of Our Hearts Speaks? So I, I, a couple things. Certainly individual patients um, that I personally treated, and even some of the stories that we already have, have done that. But I, I, I think I mentioned Viktor Frankl. I think if I had to pick, I mean, there are many people, but he in particular sort of outlined that because it spoke to the issue of meaning and purpose in life and dealing with life's challenges. And since there's a whole group and a community and body of knowledge around that, I said, wow, that's really kind of neat. So as a result of that, one of the individuals that I reached out to, I, I said, I, I want to have as part of my part of the Our Heart Speaks team members and someone from the Victor Frankl's community. So um, Alexander Bethany is is one of my advisory board members. He's the um, one of the directors at the uh, Frankl Institute mm -hmm. in Austria, and also reaching out to some other members and getting input for them. And actually, there's a, there's a conference that's going on in Texas. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to personally make it, but I'm trying to really pull those resources in because I think the, the therapists and people that have worked in that community have a lot to offer. And those are resources and strategies and, and approaches that we may be able to learn and may be able to incorporate that. The goal is really to sort of begin to develop a network and set of resources that people can sort of say, you know what, that makes sense for me. I can do that. But the one thing I think is very important is it has to be individualized. It cannot be a cookie cutter approach. Oh, no, absolutely not. Yeah. We all have to reach that place. These are just options. What are your plans for distribution of your concept to, to the general populace in the future? Hmm. So um, I'm, I'm hoping this online platform and the stories and, and videos and things go viral. <laughs> we'll help with that. <laughs> I'm, I'm there. Yeah. Um, and if you look, if you actually, if you go on the site already, I, I, because I've gone permission, I've included some really sort of phenomenal individuals who've given TED Talks and other types of mm -hmm. things that are actually already out there. You know, we're, we're 
we're just incorporating that just because they're just phenomenal um, stories. And so anything that we can do to get that word out there, get that connection. Um, I mean, I, I would like to make this a platform that people, if, you know, if you've had a stroke or a spinal cord injury or, or any kind of disability, you, you know that it's out there. It's out there for you for a couple of reasons. One, you may want to be able to submit your story, but you may want to, even if that's not an interest of yours or you're not in that place, I want to go there. I want to hear that. I want to see that. I want to feel that. I want to know what is possible. And, and the way I look at it is the story is not the be all and end all. The story is a powerful vehicle. It's a medium by which we sort of reach that point. So um, I think that's, that's critical. That's one of my really important um, talking points in, in a lot of these hand-in-hand show events is that the story of what happened to you is, has a certain amount of value, but its biggest value is in how you transformed your story into your ability to survive and thrive. Mm-hmm. And that's what we want is how you did that. And, and, and when you can share that with us, then you're making a, a really amazing contribution. And the other, the other thing that's really important is um, making it go viral. And just as a little bit of a brag point here, the first 10 days of the Hand in Hand show, without even advertising, we had 35,000 listeners. That's great. And, and we've, we've only been in existence. The show has only been up for, what, five weeks now? Something like that. It's exploding all over the place. And so we're glad you're here because we hope we can help spread the word of what you're doing. Yeah. And, and we're always looking for collaborators and resources. And so I, I see this as very much as an organic process that is growing and evolving. And, and we're always learning. And that's actually what makes it exciting for me. I mean, I've been in the field for a long time, but just meeting people from all around the world and making these connections and hearing different stories. It's it, it just, I don't know. It it's just, amazing. Yes. It yes. is amazing. Yes. I have worked with also stroke survivors and doctors and I just love this. I love the stories. You know, each one of us has a journey and that's what we've talked about before. And we may have all had strokes or brain injury or like you said, spinal cord injuries, but it's a little bit different and it's always going to be a little bit different. And what inspires us and what um, moves us forward is going to be maybe a little bit different, but it helps that people can listen to these or, or see them written and know that they're not alone. So it's kind of also a support group in a way because you may not be totally interacting with someone, but you're, you're seeing this story and you're saying, oh, I get this now. Or, you know, or maybe you don't get it, but you read the second or third story and it finally kind of hits you as to what you need to do or to how you need to change maybe your focus or how you think about things. I can't say enough about this because I just think that, like you said, that a person who is writing this has a little bit of therapy in there and the person who's reading it gets some too. And even if they don't have the disability, the caregiver or the physician or someone can get hopefully something out of it also. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think you're you're correct. I'll make two points. One is... I, I, I've seen where, you know, people look at the site and look at the different stories. And it's interesting to see that people gravitate towards different stories. I mean, mm-hmm. we all have our, you know, th- things that sort of grab us and listening to that. And that's really good. 
that actually tells me that it's it's very personal. You know, yeah. it's not like everyone's like, this is the one. It's different things. So that's number one. The other thing is, you know, on, on the medical end, on the healthcare end, I very much, I, I mean, unfortunately, as our healthcare system goes in the direction of sort of moving things along quicker and getting into electronic health records and digitalizing things, I think there's some really good things about that. I'm not trying to put that down. But there's also a balance in terms of sort of the human side of things. I know myself, I, I've been in the field of rehab long enough to know that the lengths of stay are getting shorter. And what we have to work with is not, uh, it's not necessarily that people need less. It's just that it's in a different environment now. And how do we sort of begin to say, okay, I recognize that I had, a, I actually have to confess that um, I recognize that is the reality. Okay. That is the reality out there right now. And rather than sort of beating myself up against the wall and saying, well, it shouldn't be the reality. We should be doing it differently. That is. And how do we work with that? How do we work around that? And in a way, in a way, that's what I'm saying for all of us. We all have our realities that we have to deal with, all of us. And how can we sort of begin to shift that and say, okay, this is one reality, but I'm going to work you know, around that or with that or through that and make this something different and transform. I like the word transform mm -hmm. and what is possible. And that's why I came up with something called the culture of possibility. It's a really broad term, but it's really all of us seeing, okay, what is possible? How do we shift that way of thinking? As a physician, as a healthcare provider, as a nurse, as a therapist, as a caregiver, not just as only as a patient, how do we begin to look at this and say, oh, you know what? Hmm, there's a possibility here. How can we help you with that? I, you know, I never really thought of it that way. And you know what? Quite frankly, if you hear from, a, from a, a, another colleague or from someone else saying, well, this is not possible or something that just doesn't sound right to you, that little part of you should say, hmm, that doesn't feel right to me. I, you know, I'm going to push back a little bit on that nicely and gently. Because I think that there's a tendency that we sometimes don't always come from that place. And I, and I don't mean it in a mean way, but I think sometimes we're not thinking that way. And that's why I want all of us, physicians, healthcare providers, healthcare workers, caregivers, patients begin to sort of say, you know what, I may have had that stroke, that brain injury, that cardiac event or whatever. But what does that mean? What does it mean to be human? There's still a possibility for me to have purpose and meaning and contribute. and to heal in a way that doesn't necessarily mean cure, they're not, they're not synonymous, but still it'd be very rich in terms of my life. Does that make sense? That, yeah. that's, that's incredibly beautiful. I, I like the idea that, that cure does not necessarily mean success because there isn't, I have a, a little concept here that I like to think of too, and maybe, maybe this shift in the medical profession to less and less time is not such a bad thing because it's shifting the responsibility for each person's health and their um, success at creating a life that has value onto themselves. They're not expecting someone else to do it for them because in reality, no one can do it for you. Mm -hmm. you. You have to accept what has happened and find ways to make your life meaningful. And if the medical profession can help us give us direction as to where those ways might be. That's fabulous. But the reality is that individual person still has to do it themselves. That's right. Yes, as long, yes, as, long as they have the resources and exactly. the Exactly. It's really important. Absolutely. Yes. I agree. You provide the resource and that's yes. fabulous. This is very exciting. 
Well, this brings up another uh, point for me in that, you know, I was in the hospital for four days. I went to a rehab hospital for about six weeks. And then I did outpatient therapy and stuff for about a year, a little over. I was fortunate in the way that, that when my stroke happened, I got enough to last me through the end of the year. And then I started again. But because I looked good and I seemed to get around okay, my family like left me at four to six weeks after, my, uh, after I got home. And I had to learn to do things by myself that I didn't know I could do or figure it out how to do it. And I just would have loved to hear these stories <laughs> and know that it's okay, that I was going to be okay. I mean, I kind of knew that. You do know it, but you can't get through it immediately. You don't, it, it takes a process. I, I think what you're saying is, is very true because there, there, what I do see, and it's not uncommon, is that there's this intense period of time. We, we can use stroke as an example. It could be, but any, any of these, you know, catastrophic mm -hmm. changes in one's life. So you go through the acute hospital, you go through the rehab piece, and you even go through home care or outpatient. And then all of a sudden, it sort of tails off. Mm -hmm. And what happens so one's life continues <laughs> and right. there's a whole sort of survivorship piece that continues and actually there I don't know if people are familiar with the whole cancer survivorship program but that goes on for stroke and for other things too but it's more than just surviving it's being able to flourish and being able to sort of see that possibility and I think part of it is that people need that extra what's next what's next what comes after that um, because we are in a different place, but all of a sudden the team is starting to pull back, partly because you actually don't need all that medical care anymore. Exactly. You really don't. It's true. Yeah, it's we, the shift to taking responsibility for your own success. The only well, thing, that, I, the only thing that I, I would, I, you know, what I suggest, and actually this something that I put out to my colleagues is that we want to be all of us want to be mindful, including myself. Is as we're going through this process, the language we use when we speak to our patients and to each other, um, and the kind of things. Because I, I know on a daily basis, I'm asked by patients and from families, and I'm sure it goes both ways. What do you think is going to happen to me? How am I going to do? And you know, often they're asking different questions. And sometimes it's in the middle. Can I move my arm again? Can I do that? So that's that one level. But sometimes the other questions that are being asked that are conscious or not conscious and being mindful of that and mindful of how we speak to each other and the language you use is really, really critical. I agree. Mm -hmm. Words are very yeah. powerful mm -hmm. because they yeah, could be an attitude. <laughs> yeah. If, if somebody thinks if, if you give a positive statement about what someone's doing, or what they is, are going to perceive as a positive statement, they will do better. If you tell them, oh, I don't know how you're going to be, you know, you might use your arm, you might not, you know, they not do as well. But if you tell them, you know, with hard work, it this may work. This, you know, but you do. You have to choose your words in such a way that you're going to inspire the patient to want to work um, hard or harder than maybe what they would if they heard, and I don't know what's going to happen with your arm, you know, work with it and see what happens. They need a more positive thing. <laughs> so you, you bring up an interesting point. So there's, so there's two aspects of this and, and both actually are true. 
we do know to some extent that if someone has high goals, assuming that they're realistic goals, but high goals and, and motivated and can see the possibilities, they actually are more likely to develop, have more function. Mm-hmm. The other, the other is true is that, you know, the reality is, is there, there is often is a point where things sort of, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that's what it is. <laughs> it, mean, <laughs> it may mean that I may, it is possible you've hit a point where, okay, uh, I'm not going to move my arm again, or I'm not going to be able to do this. That's true. And that may be at least where things are right now, where they are going to be. But what does that really mean? Who am I? What am I? You know, what can I do? So both can be true. So mm-hmm. what I, I sort of envision and what I hope is that basically, you know, within a realistic, pragmatic way, and that's, you know, role, how can we sort of offer people, um, you know, things? I, what I don't want to do is sort of say everyone is going to be cured and everything is going to be fine. That's just not true. It's just not the way it is. You know, however, if you go on, the, if you go on that site, you'll see some very interesting stories where people have done much better than their healthcare practitioners thought they would do. Mm-hmm. And clearly in their situation, it had a lot to do with their own sort of motivations and their own mindset. And there are others that clearly they were, they, they are living with where things are. The gun is, is good in terms of that aspect of their physical ability, but have way excelled in other aspects of their life. And um, I've actually had people say to me, that, you know, in some ways, my life is more meaningful and purposeful than it was before. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally feel like that. So did John and I. We, we have a, Our purpose has changed drastically, but it's still an incredible life. And I, we meet so many wonderful people, and it's just a whole different area of life that we never knew existed. And it's a wonderful part of life. Yes, absolutely. Yes. That's so true with even me, because I think if I hadn't had the stroke, I wouldn't have met the people that I've met. Exactly. I've made friends with my therapists and some doctors. And, you know, it's, it's incredible. I do this podcast, I never would have been able to do this. Well, I would have been able to do it, but the possibility wouldn't have come up to do this or do do the brain injury radio, or to do the support groups or to understand I mean, I've worked in the medical field for 32 years, and um, I knew about stroke, I thought, you know, I knew about disabilities, yeah, uh, I thought, but, you know, once it happened to me, I realized that we can overcome to an extent, you know, some things may stop, but I get to do a lot more than I did, and I'm much more adventurous now. Now, I will not go bungee jumping, but, you know, I tried, I know, I tried different things, you know, archery, and I've gone to the firing range, I've tried Tai Chi and yoga and uh, other stuff, but these things I didn't have done and, and had not had stroke. So, you know, maybe if I had a spinal injury or brain injury or anything else, it might be the same, I hope. That's great. Yeah, yeah, I really like your concept of a culture of possibility. I, just those words in themselves are so inspiring for everyone. So I'm, I'm grateful for what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. I really do appreciate that. And all the support we can get. Sure. Well and evolved. That'd be great. So are there any other 
points that you want to talk about or anything that you feel is very important that we haven't talked about? I mean, I think for the most part, we've, we've covered um, most of the major aspects of this project and, and our heart speaks. I, I will say that we're always looking for sort of interesting ways that we can reach out and collaborate for people learn from each other. And I think that that's really very important because the more resources we have, I'm always open to that. If, you know, someone has ideas, we actually set up something on the site that's a little bit unique because I, I have gotten submissions of stories that don't meet the actual core storyline, which is an acquired or new disability and someone's found meaning and purpose in life. So I've gotten couple submissions from people who've actually were born with a disability, but they wanted to share something that was relevant. And I we included that. Um, and also looking at people in terms of different perspectives on disability, something that may be a good resource or something that's educational for the, the audience that we're trying to serve. Um, and I, I actually will welcome if someone finds that any of these stories have sort of made a shift for them to be able to share that. So we're open to that too. I thank you for being with us. I encourage people to go and look at Our Heart Speaks and the Patient Stories Project. Dr. Raphael, we are just, I would love to have you back and talk again about this and maybe some of the individual stories that you all have received. But this has been really interesting and I, I can't say enough about what you do and I'm hoping physicians and medical personnel can kind of read some of these too and get a whole lot out of it. But thank you for being with us and- I'm just so grateful and it's, it's so wonderful to know that someone else in the world reads Viktor Frankl. <laughs> <laughs> it's delightful. I, I, I'm so glad that we learned about what you're doing because I think it's incredibly important for the whole world. Yeah. And you're doing amazing things and you're paying it forward in ways that you may never, ever know. Yeah. Yes. Well, well, thank you. Well, so thank you. Th yeah. Thank you for those kind words. I appreciate it very much. So thank you for being with us today. And I hope our listeners will go on and look at our heart speaks and the stories, because this is really important for you all or your caregivers or family, anybody to see this and to understand maybe what other people go through and maybe why, maybe not why you're going through it, but a kind of a why it's happening or, or that it does happen to other people. And I think that's very important. So listeners, thank you. Please visit the site of Our Heart Speaks. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Hand in Hand Show. We hope you enjoyed it. If you would like to keep the discussion going, please join Stroke Focus, the social media website dedicated to stroke survivors and caregivers. Stroke Focus is S-T-R-O-K-E-F-O-C-U-S. Stroke Focus is a part of Wohala, which in Mandarin means I have survived. If you wish to be a part of the show or would like to be interviewed as part of the show, please contact us at contact at strokefocus.net.